0: Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation.
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard. From the flight deck, this is Paul Pometrius, and this is Alex Hunter. We'll be we the pilots for this podcast about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern bird travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and 30 minutes, and we expect an on-time arrival. Coming up on this flight, the power of data to fly faster, the power of data to book better by ATA Matrix, the power of sensors for better airports, but also Ryanair wants to offer transatlantic flights for 10 British pounds, a personal device, battery, grease, fire, in a Caelan flight, a look at why all those strikes at Lufthansa, and we look at the world of mistake fear. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the passenger bell sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones.
2: This is fly 008 to Singapore. Hi, Alex. Singapore. Good evening. We're doing this in the evening for a change. Yeah, well, I cannot see the difference from your background. <laughs> it could be in the middle of the night. It could be 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs>
0: Uh for those who listened to the show last week, we introduced uh, small indent, dance so small music and track at the beginning, and at the end of the show. I hope you liked it. We're just, again, trying and shipping as we go. We're going to make some improvement there, but I hope you had fun with it. It was a bit of a special we, episode. We did get some on. good
2: feedback. Somebody sent me a text message right after listening to it saying, you guys really cranked up the production on Double O Seven. I was like, yeah, I think Paul had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was actually that was a lot of fun. Too much time though, but that was a lot of fun. I'm learning a lot.
0: I mean, we are really learning a lot yeah, in this show so.
2: on every facet. Not just the the sound and and so many people have been so helpful, <clears throat> John Biggs, uh, I think giving us some <laughs> feedback. And you know, the sound has has I think improved exponentially since the very beginning, but uh, also on. You know where people are finding us, how they're listening to us, the types of thing they're interested in, everything like that. It's been really, it's been a steep but fascinating learning curve.
0: Yeah, and we're still learning. So, oh, yeah. Thank, so thank you, thank you, everyone of you. would have done feedback. We've really gotten a lot, and it's really useful for us to improve because otherwise we're really living in a box. I mean, we're talking to, to ourselves. Basically. <laughs> yeah, you're
2: just listening <laughs> into a conversation we'd already be having anyway. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Uh, so, news
2: of the week. Uh, first, uh, a white elephant, uh, a ghost airport. Go ahead. Yeah, so this is, I'm sure a lot of you have heard, m- maybe not specifically ab- of this story, but about this airport, which is in Valencia and in, in Spain. And it was built in 2011. It's called Castellon Costa. Uh, it was built in 2011 for 150 million euros. And this was. Uh, I think is the classic definition of a boondoggle, launched without a single airline committed to fly to or from there. Not only that, so it no, it hasn't uh, ha, ever hosted a commercial flight. In 2012, a large section of the runway had to be torn up because the measurements were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So pr- planes couldn't actually physically make the turns that they that were being requested of them. You know, we're not talking about laying a road here. A runway is an extraordinarily complex piece of engineering and and not cheap. And then in 2013, it was revealed that if a plane landed there, it couldn't get fuel because the fuel stations (laughs) had never been built. So oh dear. finally, they got a uh, an operating certificate last year, and they did a bunch of tests to to, to check the measurements had been done properly and all of the, the flight control and and inter, um, radio comms systems. But still, no one was going to go to this airport. And then finally, late last week, Ryanair thought, and this is so typical of Ryanair, like you know, blue light sale. We're gonna go in and get this thing dirt cheap. Ryanair are introducing service to this airport that's been a ghost town for for nearly four years, and they're gonna do London Stansted on their winter route, winter schedule, 2015, and they're gonna do it for uh, something like under twenty pounds. Oh wow, that's really cheap. So it's great, but it's so like. <laughs> It's ridiculous.
0: I've read a little bit about this airport. It it seems that the whole, this birth was really like a folly from the local mayor, whoever he was, councilor, governor or something that really wanted to create an airport. I I don't know. I don't have the full details, but it really looks like somebody's, you know, great plans. And there's even like a statue in front of it. A a beautiful statue uh, too. That has cost like, I think 300 1000 euros and for an airport that is nobody uses and uh but this guy uh Fabrais his last name is in jail for tax fraud so that tells you a bit more
2: I about didn't it. know that that's just like <laughs> this whole story in a nutshell uh, uh,
0: apparently the um the airport is a bit in the middle of nowhere they were hoping at some point that the airport would gather uh, a train stop there's a high speed train that goes from uh, I I don't remember exactly the and and they would uh, I think they were thinking about getting uh, uh, a stop there, but it's a little bit middle of nowhere. It really is. But it, it, it reminded me of another story because when you when you when you submitted that piece of news, we have this Excel spreadsheet where we share stuff, the news that we want to talk about in the podcast. Uh, I remembered uh, an episode of Top Gear. It was season t- season twenty, episode three. Where uh, the three blokes there were running fast cars on an abandoned runway in an abandoned airport in Spain, and I I, and I assume that would be the same. And actually, it's not. Actually, there's another (laughs) airport that is, yeah, another airport that is abandoned. It's called Ciudad Real Central Airport. It's not very far from Madrid, depending on what you call not very far from Madrid anyway. But and it's it it has apparently cost. This one, one billion. Oh my god! It has had some operational. Uh, so there were flights going there. Actually, in Ryanair flew there, flew to from Stansted to that other airport for six months in 2010, and then abandoned. Then whaling stopped in 2011. Since then, I think there's like no one there, and they're looking for a buyer. So if you're interested to buy, an, a, a maybe Bruce we should airport. have a
2: layover at the airport that we all hang out at. Yeah, record the it's, podcast. It's, it's, you know, this it's, it's, it's I, I the. This whole thing and the Spanish media really jumped on this and said this. This type of thing is why we had such a, a you know a rotten time economically. And the airport, I love this little nugget. The airport was was after some investigation found to have spent twenty six million euros sponsoring local sports teams.
0: <laughs> wow. This is what this is why it comes back to the story of administration or somebody really wanted to make an airport not of, yeah, because of they, any economical sense but just because it's absolutely it they
2: they announced it was open shortly before regional elections i oh, think yeah, that's I I mean, that says so much you know right there but uh what uh, i'm glad it's getting some life it's it's weird and unsettling to see an airport abandoned like that i hope that they can make a go of it and uh, you know it's a it's a nice part of spain so, uh, yeah,
0: it is. And I hope that this time Ryanair commits for more than six months, yeah. than like the, the other airport. But keep it on Ryanair. Another piece of news at Ryanair. they actually finally going to do these transatlantic flights, apparently, yes, right? Yes.
2: Yesterday, their board approved this plan to finally offer Ryanair-type services. It's, it's unclear whether or not it will be under the, the Ryanair brand or not. But they're looking at offering transatlantic services, not before 2020, I hasten to add but they are looking to add, add that type of service for between 10 and $15 each way. Holy now I'm sure wow. there are, you know, there are, because they're flying to the U S they have to have a certain percentage of seats available at that price. So there will be, if they, if they actually commit to it, but their board, and this is a public company, uh, have committed to that and their stock, uh, tanked as a result of this. <laughs> oh wow. Um, I didn't know it's a volatile stock. It's a healthy stock, there's it's a volatile stock, but, uh, it's, it's gonna happen, and it's. I think it's it, it's it's great. It's it's putting more pressure on the legacy carriers, who I'm sure will do everything than they can to fight this in the courts, because that's what they do. But uh, I, you know, it's it's fantastic. And they, and this isn't just sort of one city to one city. They, when pressed, said that they their ambition is to have service between twelve to fourteen cities in Europe and twelve to fourteen cities in the U.S. That that's not oh, wow. small. No, it is not. That's that's a lot of
0: ghost airports. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, that was a cheap one. But now the reason I'm, I said when introducing this piece of news finally is that I remember that in in '08, so seven years ago, that was when they first said they wanted to do transatlantic flights. Back then, they had said, okay, inflation has gone through, but back then they were saying eight pounds yeah. for a uh, for a ticket. another they gain ten, but it's. This time at least they're more realistic in saying this is going to happen within the next 5 years. Yeah, it's not it, like we're starting tomorrow. It's like we're looking at a plan. I think the first thing they have to do is
2: negotiate like a good deal with either Boeing or Airbus. Yeah, I think that they'll probably stick with with the uh, 737s uh, w- with whatever, you know, the 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 new versions of the 7 of the 737, but yeah, they've looked at how many people have tried to break into that transatlantic market and how long it's taken them to deal with every layer of U.S. bureaucracy and EU but, bureaucracy. Uh, oh, come on, no,
1: no, no, no.
0: let's be honest. The, the Atlantic is littered with failed attempts. Yeah, you know, through been, the decades. I mean, yeah, there have been Skytrain, Sky train, Laker. Laker. Laker, there'd be Zoom Airlines, I think it was, you know, like a decade ago, there was... Uh, I think from Switzerland because I took it. One there was one called Swiss World Airways. We're doing a Geneva New York, which uh, also failed. There was a Norwegian, obviously. We, yeah. we talk about it a lot yeah. about Norwegian. They did it for a small amount of time. It was not ten pounds, right? No. It was more and, like. And, but they lost their license. I mean, they're suspended. Yeah. they're suspended. They're getting messed they're around. Still, yeah.
2: They're getting messed around. And to, and to, to kind of to cast the uh, the boring sense of reality here. The ten to fifteen pound stuff that'll that'll be the promo stuff they give away. What they're yeah, what course. they're looking at, I think, is around ninety nine pounds one way, which still transatlantic is a heck of a deal.
0: No, it is. I mean, you mentioned in episode 006, a uh, Wow uh, Airlines. Yeah, I know, they do. I still pull very nicely, but it's that was ninety nine pounds. I think so. It's I, it's in. I, I mean, I believe that if anyone can do it, probably Ryanair are
2: are the ones to to succeed there. Yes, they have uh, the we'll, we'll experience. They've got the they've got the economics behind them. They have got the, the just the pure operational wherewithal to deal with it. So, yeah, because compared to all the failed attempts, the failed attempts were more mostly startups. Meaning yes. that there were people
0: that might have experience in the airline industry, but they were like not having a huge company to back them up. Well, Here, exactly. Even, even though if they go with that, probably they will go with a second different company maybe they'll keep the same brand or not we're not sure but they have the experience and actual experience in low-cost airlines for like a long long time so they might actually crack that knot talking about which uh you've seen that they're abandoning their yellow color i mean they're toning yes, it down yeah they're they, doing they, this um, sort of
2: not rebrand that's not the right word but they're kind of moving the whole identity yeah they're
0: moving away from that really bright yellow that if you've ever guys taken a, a Ryanair flight is all over the place or the bluish which is already part of the brand where like they really go and it's less aggressive i don't know if it's that's the right yeah term definitely blue. it's more like so it's interesting i mean they, they, it's really i mean we both both alex and i've been saying that in a few episodes uh is you know they're really trying to push the brand a little bit not H- higher, I don't know if that's the right term, but they're like they're looking at differentiation products. They're looking at introducing classes, et cetera. Et cetera. I so- think they've
2: seen how well it's worked with the EasyJet, elevating themselves above that that noise, and they they want they want a piece of it. I mean, they're no they're nobody's fool. Those guys, they they know exactly what they're doing. Now, now, just to mention
0: about you, low cost. I mean, you found an amazing, crazily price to go from I think it was London to Tokyo via Alitalia. The reason I mention that is that. Not only low-cost airlines are going to do deals, but apparently even like traditional airlines. That was amazing. How much was the price you found? It
2: was something here? like 240 pounds. Talk about a deal. Round trip, London, Tokyo via Milan. And I think... I found it. I'll tell you exactly how I found it. I signed up to Kayak's uh, Flight Alerts, which was basically tell me when anything interesting comes up. It was very open-ended. Yeah, 292 pounds and 31p to go London to Narita return, all taxes and fees included. Uh, it's it's a good time to be flying. It's a very yeah, it good time. And irrespective is. of where you're on the spectrum of sort of quality, uh, if, if it's okay to yeah, use that of course. word. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm flying to Hong Kong in Hong Kong and Singapore round trip on a very good airline and cafe for less than 500 pounds, which is two years ago, nice. not going to happen. Not going to happen. Yeah. Not going to so happen. So it's a not good time. Happen. Oil prices, I don't care what anybody says, they are affecting the, the ticket prices. So hooray uh, for, the, for the traveler. I just want to mention, because we we're talking about extremely low prices,
0: when Cebu Pacific in the Philippines, oh, an airline yes, based in the yes, Philippines, yes. they introduced their, their long haul. <laughs> and we're talking long haul, it's more than nine hours from Manila to uh was it Abu Dhabi, I think, or Dubai, Dubai, to to Dubai. Their launch price was <laughs> four dollars per ticket. <laughs>
2: They're still around. Okay,
0: you still had to pay sixty dollars on charges, but it was four dollars, and it was a promo price. That's exactly what you said earlier. Usually, you know, they push, but and they cram a lot of seats into plane. Uh, I think I wrote a blog post back then about the number of seats they were able to cram in a single plane, but. I mean, it's it's a good time to fly, especially for deals. I'm not saying that the quality and or comfort is always there, but for deals, it's great. Yeah. Talking about expanding the uh, the scope of an airline, so airlines are either expanding upscale. So we just mentioned Ryanair. They actually Ryanair is even thinking about introducing a second class, maybe in another brand, but we'll see that in the future. Some other are expanding in a different way, and uh, Qatar Airways is a good example.
2: Yeah, Qatar Airways just bought uh, the Sheraton Skyline Hotel at Heathrow. Oh, wow. I think uh, anybody who's ever traveled out of Heathrow at an antisocial hour of the day has stayed at this hotel. It's a good hotel. It's a nice hotel. If you're an SPG Starwood Preferred Guest collector, <laughs> you, I can guarantee <laughs> you that you stayed at this hotel. Uh, in isolation, it's a fairly mundane story, but when looked in the context of Qatar Airways' uh, activity around Heathrow, it's starting to get very, very interesting. So, if you recall, they, the, the Qatari government and or Qatar Airways already own 20% of Heathrow Airport, the entire airport. And they mm-hmm. also bought, as we mentioned in one of our earlier episodes, 9.99% of IAG, which owns... British Airways, which also happens to have the most slots at Heathrow. So there's, there's, they obviously see Heathrow as an absolutely critical component of their. That's a nexus for them. Exactly, their long term strategy, and they're investing accordingly. Uh, So it's, I think London in general, because Qatar as a government and an investment vehicle have invested heavily in London as well. So I think this is this is very interesting and i think we might see more if not direct qatar airways operations airlines or or properties owned by by them doing a lot more work in london which which is only positive for the for the city and the airport yeah it's true uh, it's it's um they actually
0: already own an airport i think uh, an airport <laughs> sorry for my lapse uh an hotel in it they probably Loha. own an airport too <laughs> maybe actually yeah that's part of the next story actually they uh yeah so but it's not the first time. There's not that many uh, airlines who own um, hotels. But if you look back at the '70s, it was something that started to be done. You know, United had bought hotels in uh, New York, American as well had bought. I think were also in the East Coast. And in Europe, KLM, Swissair, uh, in uh, in Asia, Japan Airlines. S-A- they all expanded uh, yeah. the hotels, but they all went. They they went. I mean, they cut back afterwards. They went back to their core business for many reasons, but. I don't know if – do you think it's a sign of a trend that other airlines will try to expand you know, this or is it just because Qatar Airways is flush with cash? I think
2: if you want to own the whole experience, it's not a bad yeah. idea. But I think it's probably that Qatar Airways are flush with cash. But you're right. I mean there is huge amounts of, of, of precedence for this type of thing. And I there was brand types. Remember Radisson SAS hotels? Oh, yeah. Correct. Yeah. In yeah. Scandinavia. I see it a lot. Yeah. And so I think uh, you know, it's a natural – Tie in, isn't it? Any, any, yeah. any hotel property surrounding you just you extend the experience. You put, make it part of the booking flow for a, for a, uh, an airline ticket. I don't know if the economics stack up. I would. It, it seems to suggest that unless you're going to go hardcore for the entire airline, airport experience, like these guys are, that it may not work. But I, I don't know what they're... I want okay. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We are going to get someone from Qatar Airways as a guest on this podcast and go. So, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we should do. We should
0: totally do that. They are interesting, actually. They are currently, if uh, the, at the time of recording, if you just go on Twitter and or, or other social network and look for the uh, hashtag #aviation15, there's currently a U.S. Chamber of Commerce uh, conference with a lot of the airlines, including. The Middle Eastern airlines uh, there, and th- there was a piece of news about. I mean, th- since that whole debate we've been having the saga about you know the U.S. versus the Gulf airlines. Uh, this strategy of expansion by Qatar uh, is uh, is one that is also worrisome for for because they they said in the same breath of uh, buying this hotel at Ether that they were looking into properties in the U.S. as well in North America. So uh, we'll see where this goes. Um, yeah talking about uh, the middle eastern airlines uh, i don't know if you've seen that etihad so etihad is one that hasn't really publicly uh, debated a lot about that uh, the that report that we mentioned on many many episodes but they're going a lot of for advertising they just uh, named nicole kidman their brand yes. ambassador it's you? a very
2: elegant ad it's very very well done and i think um, it was interesting that both delta and etihad launched new global advertising campaigns in the same week. And Delta's is yeah. also very good. It was done by Wyden Kennedy, who are the, the global uh, agency of record for people like Nike, Coke. So they they went they went with the big guys. And it's it's a very – I was actually surprised when I watched the Delta ad. I looked at it and went, oh, this is really nice. And at the end, it was like Delta. I was like, ugh, really? That's so <laughs> incongruous. It doesn't make it – it doesn't link up. If it had been something like – not even a travel brand, but just something that was like even a hotel brand or something like that. but." Yeah, (laughs) Etihad is also very, very good as well.
0: No, they're pushing all. I mean, there's a lot. All these videos on on their YouTube channels. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's not the only one that that's been there. the other, the other news about it, he had very quickly, is that you know that you remember I said that they were introducing the A three eighty two GFK from Abu Dhabi. Yeah. The flight, the first flight, uh, was sold out in less than four hours, wow. uh, and so that's, that's the that's one with an the with the residence suite, right? Exactly, that amazing room, three room, whatever. But the most interesting bit here. So I just mentioned that you know uh, a lot of the representatives of the airlines are currently in uh, the East Coast of the US for that conference. But Tim Clark, the CEO of Emirates is actually going to Washington, D.C. this week to actually meet. So, you know, that we mentioned many times that we don't want to repeat ourselves. That report is accusing the uh, the Middle Eastern airlines to uh, be the recipient of uh, over $40 billion of subsidies. What? And we always, both both of us said that Emirates was uh, very smart about how they were reacting to all this. Yeah. They just actually released, a uh, I don't know if you want to call it white paper as well, a report, very welly well crafted mm. about which in which they address most of the accusations has been made have you
2: have you had the yes time to i have about it? it was it was like you say it was very well put together, very persuasive, they knew that the audience was ultimately the consumer, and they crafted it in not an infographicy way but in a in a bite size manner that was uh compelling and interesting and engaging you know and a good counterpoint to the to the same type of thing that the uh that the US airlines put together
0: yeah they they really uh i mean they, they 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 hammer the point that they are an airline which which is fundamentally against the practice of airline receiving any type of state subsidies uh though they understand that it may take time for the practice to be eliminated in the whole industry and then they go on going into gets that's it's it's elegant at the same time it's abrasive obviously because they like uh they take examples of Korean Air uh, getting subsidies obviously Lufthansa getting subsidies for some pension plans Austrian airline etc cetera, etc cetera. I mean I will not go through all the the entire report but I really think it's it's well done the the, the number that that really stood up there there are not there's not too many numbers it's not as dry as a white paper it's one I want, to want to, don't want to call it you're right it's more consumer oriented mm. it said uh, the Star Alliance uh which is the world la- largest airline group. Uh so 13 of the Star Alliance careers, so it's a half of the members, have received subsidies in state aid totaling more than uh $6.8 billion. So that's a lot. It's right. a
2: brilliant strategic <laughs> move on their part because now the especially Delta have to look at their their partners, uh or anybody in the of the US Airlines mm-hmm. and go, you are complicit because you are through association. You know, it's it's the brilliant thing the other thing that,
0: the, early, the other the other part that I really enjoyed, and it comes back to what you Alex said many times in that debate, is that uh, basically what Emirates was doing it was very close to what alliance from uh, Hong Kong and Singapore were doing. And it said it states in por- at some point part of the at re- uh, some moment in the report that Dubai corporate model, has its origins in a position as an entrepôt, which is basically the same type of they've been. Influenced, they even followed in the footsteps of what Singapore, especially, was was doing. Uh, so they even say, uh, so, uh, "Let me read that." Singapore's success has provided inspiration for many governments in the Middle East, hoping to spur growth. Uh, so they're not accusing Singapore, but they're saying, "Look, we have the same model. We're like, we're like almost a free trade port." That now is expanding into other types of activities, and we're following the footstep of other successes, namely Singapore. Even though Hong Kong, Taiwan, and others have been doing that, so and it's it's really well crafted. It's not accusatory. This is why I liked about this uh, this report, and I'm not. Do not read me as being like overly praising it, but I like the elegance of not being too pushy and being, you know, presenting facts in a in a in a
2: good in a good manner. Were there any other parts that that stood out for you? No, I think I think you. For me, it's less about the argument and the more of the way that they crafted it. It was there's no right answer here. Nobody nobody is going to win on on fact. It's going to be on politicking and it's going to be on lobbying and it's you know which is is, is kind of uncool in a way but it, it the way that they did it the audience that they spoke to the the associates that they invoked by proxy have made it very difficult for the uh the US airlines to respond yeah. who have and this is just going to go on and on and on and on and on and on but it's but nice. And
0: they are, I mean, we'll talk about it uh, in other episodes as well. There are nice graphics as well, showing you some states of the industry. For instance, the labor cost per employee, which you see that Emirates, yeah, it's cheap, but it's not actually, Dubai is not in the best place. I mean, no. Singapore Airlines has less, uh, Malaysia Airlines, Air India, Jet Airways, they have other places in the world that have actually better labor costs. Uh, fuel, again, same yeah, story, it's, Singapore it's, has better fuel costs. So I it's 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 balanced, so it's. Uh, oh, oh, I'm sure we'll see. You know, the other yeah. side answering, and I, I. don't know if you've started if you've seen that
2: because uh, the 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 new ads from that
0: fair sky. Yeah. So, so they, yeah, both
2: both the U.S. airlines and their unions have launched separate campaigns about fairness in the sky or whatever, and it is it, they've put together campaign sites and ads and and they're. Pushing the ads hard in the U.S. and, of course, it's the schmaltz that you would expect from a political political ad. But it's sort of, it's not going to do them any good, especially when they don't have the support of basically every other airline in the U.S. Uh,
0: you mentioned. Sorry, because I forgot to say that the other the other piece that was staggering because you mentioned the unions, obviously being siding with the U.S. airlines and, of course, talking about how uh, the three. Uh, um, Gulf Airlines are competing apparently unfairly, Emirates (laughs) receives on average 25,000 new employment applications each month. Yeah, so it can't be the worst place in the world to work. Holy cow. I was not thinking that. Anyway, uh, very quickly in short news to follow up with what we've seen in episode four. I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the flight attendant. That was uh, shot o- over by the uh, the was was she the daughter of the the owner of the uh, Korean
2: Air yeah the daughter of the chairman she- of Korean Air who who I think we covered this in our first episode yeah. who. We threw a fit about the way nuts were served to her and, and kicked the chief. And the
0: flight attendant is suing the company back from the US. So the flight attendant is, is suing the company from the US, which has, you know, punitive damages because that's why she's... But <laughs> one of the pieces that is interesting that she says uh, in the summons of the, the court order says she, she was pressured to lie to government investigator to cover up the incident. Mm-mm. And that, that's, that looks very bad. That's Yeah. Although, other little piece of news, one just for you, Alex. In the Virgin Atlantic, has uh, found profit again.
2: <laughs> good. For yeah, them. They, they. It's it's a good piece of news for an airline that's uh, stuck between a rock and a hard place. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased for them. Their new CEO, Craig Krieger, who came from American Airlines, has done a really good job of making some tough decisions, cutting costs in certain areas, cutting unprofitable routes, doing the whole Delta acquisition thing. And and then investing in other areas, they're going to invest three hundred million quid in putting Wi-Fi on every airplane and putting wow. a, a, a better food in economy, which apparently is already rolled out in some new routes. And I'm flying the Virgin on uh, next week, so I will report back to see if we oh, get please. the new experience. Please do. And they also said that they were they are replacing fifty percent of their fleet by 2018, which is a lot. <laughs> Excuse me. Yes, it is. A, it is a lot, and they excuse me, the, Some a lot of their fleet is getting on a bit. I mean, they've they, have the, they <laughs> got Dreamliners, fair. they've got brand new A330s, which are stunning, but then they have some pretty creaky 747-400s who will be... Oh, come on, you love the 747. No, I love them, and I shall be flying one on uh, next week to San Francisco, but they are, they are getting on a bit, and so I know that they're pushing hard for a fleet that reflects their new route map. Yes.
0: and Richard Branson said, I can't think of a better way to complete our thirtieth birthday year than with a return to profit. Yeah, nice. I think that's fair enough. Uh going into the innovation news of the week. Uh you know if you if you listened to us guys last week, uh episode 007, we I mentioned the report from Cita, uh, the future is personal, in which we uh said that eighty eighty one percent in which it says, sorry, eighty one percent of passengers carry a smartphone nowadays. But only 4.6 of them actually do mobile checking with that same smartphone. <laughs> but one one of the interesting bit of that report was saying that one of the ways that a lot of people were complaining in the airport was wayfinding. You know, the airports the airports were not. Again, uh, from that report, investing enough money into wayfinding. So we—I remember—I mentioned in episode 003 that Frankfurt Airport. Remember, I have the new app which tells you how much time you'll have to wait for security, and also maps you the best way to go from point A to point B within an airport. That's wayfinding. But all these requires stuff like iBeacons, as we said last week, that Miami has installed some. So it's still something that goes on, but that takes some time. Interestingly, though. Uh, there's a piece of news here that we both read. It was in uh, The Verge, which is a tech blog. Uh, there's this airport in uh, Cincinnati uh, that was able to cut the median. I'm going to read that. The median wait time in its security lines has dropped by a third, going from 13.2 minutes to 8, 8.9 minutes after installing a system that tracks travelers' phones to estimate how much traffic each line has. It's pretty cool. Amazing. Good for them. And the good thing is because uh, yeah, good for them because the airport is struggling a bit because since Delta left, I mean they have I think they really went down in mm. number of passengers. But the good thing is that it's not, uh, it's something that's been used in shops. I mean, GCP in in, in the US and other shops. So instead of iBeacons requires that your phone is of course has is one of the latest iPhone, for yep. instance. But this is uh, it just uses the MAC address. So every phone has a unique identity, which when you're connected, when you have Signal or when you're on Wi Fi, you, you have a an unique a- address, which cannot be linked back. I mean, it could be, but let's, let's be, uh, it cannot really be linked back to you, Alex, or to me, Paul. But he says, I can actually count the number of people, for instance, within a shop here, within an airport. And it allows uh, shops to do, uh, you know, uh, Flow, flow traffic, mm. the connector circle. Uh, Linger you know, time around
2: display, stuff like that. This was supposed to be Correct. the future of retail, but it really never manifested yeah. itself in the way that I think a lot of people thought it would. This type of application, though, is really interesting and, and rather clever.
0: Yeah, I think it's really, it, I think it's really clever. And uh, uh, apparently, the application, I didn't know that, this type of application already exists in other airports, Brussels. That we, uh, well, you were just Brussels there. You,
2: were you yeah. just there and had to stay in a really long queue?
0: <laughs> yeah because I was you know yeah, I was in the going to uh border control because I'm from the UK not in the uh, you know which is not in Schengen in the EU anyway Geneva <laughs> Dubai other airports have that but you know it's something passive you don't see it to you as a user directly there's no like signaling on your phone that it has it's just like a the it's, way they use the data yeah. to actually make the flow passive better and i think invasive, that's, yeah. which is good which is- Though one thing though apparently is that in Europe because there's still some privacy concerns, even though you, you couldn't really, ter- you know, if you, Alex, were to sign in with your email address in the Wi-Fi system of the airport, mm-hmm. then I would have both your Mac address and your email. And, so that's a profile. Yeah. So th- that's why uh, European airports, they have apparently, because I haven't seen them, and I, I will look for look out for them next time i been in an airport. They have those who have installed such systems display and actually tell you that they have so that's the kind of privacy you know terms of service <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> or something i mean, Jeez. talking about the power of data
2: you had a you you found a fascinating article i i right? I, I, I hasten to correct you i did not find this my father oh, you're, da- my you're dead your right, dad who is a hi dad who is an avid listener to this podcast and a a career airline guy uh focusing in ops he sends me like every time he reads an article that he finds interesting, you forward it to the hey, maybe you could use this on the podcast. So, uh, we really, really appreciate it. Thank that. you so
0: much. Yes, um, thank you so much.
2: This one in particular was really interesting. So, 538, who is uh, it's Nate Silver who has correctly predicted the outcome of every election in the U.S. for years now, including two the last two consecutive presidential elections. Thank god. Um, he, they have this, this feature or analysis on their site, which is just simply called, which flight will get you there fastest? And they claim to have analyzed 6 million flights to figure out which airports, airlines, and most importantly, which routes are likely to get you between point A and point B the fastest. And what they've kind of, the way that they've broken down the output of this is a wonderful interactive map that we'll post a link to on On the show notes, but also a league table, if you will, of airports and airlines based on how much time they're going to add to your scheduled trip. The airports thing is fascinating. The usual offenders are there, like it's done in shades of red, depending on how much time. And of course, all three New York York airports (laughs) are the brightest of red, with an average of and Chicago, obviously as well. Yeah, very busy. That's poor airport that that's like t- around the New York airports are adding like 23 23 minutes to your scheduled journey incredibly and this surprised the heck out of me Los Angeles LAX on departure only a 2 minute on average addition to your scheduled flight really yeah. really incredible yeah. they also did this with uh an my my hometown airport or one of my 65 hometown airports San Francisco wasn't great <laughs> Ten minutes departure, 14 minutes arrival, but they have weather issues there all the time. They also had a league table of the fastest airlines, which is each major airline ranked by the time it shaved off a typical flight relative to other airlines on the same route. This is only twelve months worth of data. And I was delighted to see Virgin America but at the top of the league table. Congrats. Which is great, but it's you know, they have a small fleet, not many routes, relatively easy to get that crown. What I, I was not surprised to see United and American at the bottom by a long stretch. That's just typical. I was very surprised to see Southwest in third oh, yeah. to bottom, an airline who has prides themselves and whose entire model is based on turnaround time. They, uh, well, they they don't. They're never gonna make you late according to this, but they're not gonna get you there ahead of schedule. So I guess that's not that, they're doing their job, I guess. If you that
0: there's that, a fascinating part. So there's this infographics, and there are there's a blog post attached to it when they they go into the methodology, how they found those numbers of so the Bureau of Transportation data, et cetera, et cetera. Uh and the bit about these uh the routes and the comparison between airlines is fascinating because They actually, in the methodology, they use something to compare routes because they say that some uh, airlines are doing padding. So for the same route, one airline is going to announce that it takes, let's say, an hour and 30 minutes. Uh And another airline would tell you it takes an hour and 40 minutes. So obviously, the hour tells you it's an hour and 40 minutes might never be late or might be considered according to the official statistics of what is being late, not late, whereas the other one who was, was trying to get you there really in an hour, 30 minutes, and then can be late, it will actually... So they, they, they weigh that in the calculation. Good. I'll put those with the link because they are amazing stats. You can see that actually, uh, for, for, for instance, Virgin America, Virgin America is actually in that... The way that st- 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 statistics are is doing actually better. In on-time percentage... Virgin America is even, even better than they actually say they are if you take into account these way to calculate routes. United is doing worse.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they're, they're really shooting themselves <laughs> in the foot.
0: Uh, the Frontier, for instance, is doing much better. It's it's very, very interesting because that allows for a true comparison. It's true that, for instance, for us, uh, leaving, we don't have that data, and I hope somebody comes with it in Europe. But it's true that leaving from Heathrow, some some flights, you know that the flight only takes you, let's say, an hour, but the announced schedule is an hour and 40 yes. minutes
2: because they know yeah. that Heathrow is back Absolutely. to up, So, And they're looking so at block makes... time, exactly, at Heathrow. Somewhere like Heathrow is just a nightmare. Yeah,
0: so it's. Uh, I'll put the. I'll put the link because it's a fascinating thing, and I really hope that somebody does that one day for Europe yeah. or even just for the UK because that's really, really well done. Anything else you want to add? No, other than
2: that, 538's blog is just a wonderful collection of information. Is beautiful posts. There's just wonderful oh, yeah. analysis and just uh, dis- approaching big sets of data from an, a different angle than you might initially look at it. And. What it made me think about, even though they said only for the U.S., imagine
0: if we could have this aligned with then a pricing. When you book a flight, you would have all these statistics oh, yeah. at the same time. Uh, because, uh, for instance, there was I, I was reminded of that because it's a very bit slightly off airline, but uh, uh, about Uber. There's um, the University of Cambridge has done an analysis on pricing to to say, are Uber, both Uber Black and Uber X, really less expensive than cabs? And they found that, I think it was $35 was a breakup point. Mm -hmm. So uh, Uber is more expensive for for routes below 35 and taxis are less expensive above. But the point is not that. The point was, if you could merge these two things, having a price analysis with the delays, the best route analysis, that would be a heck of an app to, to get. And maybe and maybe you'd agree with me, the closest guys would, that could do that is Google because Google flights already yeah. gives you a lot of information. You remember when you use, I think you said that in a show that when you look for a flight, it will tell you, oh, on average, just yes. flight is an hour, half an hour. Flight, and so you, right? you,
2: if you're booking a tight-ish connection, that, that data is critical. So what they introduced this week,
0: I think it was, uh, so we said, I think in 006, in episode of flight 006, that Google Flight was out of beta, but now they're ramping up sli- uh, slowly some other features, and they made uh, an agreement with uh, Root Happy, uh, it's a company, I'll, I'll come to it in a little bit, because it's an interesting company, but more than just telling you uh, that uh, the the plane will be, for instance, thirty minutes late on uh, on average. Uh, this time, they also include some amenities mm. in the flight. So they will tell you: does it does that aircraft have seat power? Does it have Wi-Fi? What's the average leg room? Mm-hmm. This is pretty cool. Yeah. And Route Happy provides other stuff. It provides the food. Is there are fresh food on flight? The seat type. Uh, the IFE. The absence or uh, or not of IFE. It's pretty cool to have all that in a single... That's what I mean. I, I, I don't think all of the... Uh, maybe none of this is revolutionary by itself, but having in a single point of entry, Google
2: Flights, being able to have all this data at a single point of entry is pretty cool. Don't you agree? I, it, is, it is cool. Here's what I find so strange about Google Flights. You're, you're right. They have all this great information about whether you have Wi-Fi, in-seat power, anything like that, but... In many, many instances, they still don't tell you the model of the airplane. Yeah, it's true. Uh, It's absolutely true, which is strange because
0: that's... Thank you, because you just gave me a great (laughs) way to introduce the second part of what I wanted to say. It's it's strange because when you go, you can go on roothappy.com. So roothappy.com started as a rating reviewing like a trip advisor for flights i was using i think i rated more than 100 flights it was a bit cumbersome because you had to rate no you had to you had a possibility to freight like okay how was the lounge how was the no, first how was the arrival to the airport how was the lounge if you were in the lounge how were there like like power and, and wi-fi in the lounge then the aircraft itself where there are power seats everything if you could rate every single thing which is which made it cumbersome and obviously not appealing for the general public because no one, not somebody like me would take like half an hour to fill all right. this, but no. So they they stopped this and now they just relate on data and APIs to get all this information. But when you go there and I took two examples for you, Alex, when you go there, you can have these, the data, the, the, the type of aircraft. So I took since Singapore is today, the, uh, our destination, uh, London uh, Heathrow to Singapore. The happiness score, happiness is, oh, they consider the compute as uh, the best average of all these amenities. The best is without the price. Let's be let's be clear here. Is Oman Air? Uh, you you'd fly in a A330 300. Yep. You'll have a seat that is is 30, you know, 34, and that's economy, 34-inch of uh, legroom. The layout is 242. You have uh, in-flight entertainment. You have power and USB, and you have a good Wi-Fi, though you have to pay for it. There's no information in the food. Then I took for you, because you were so crazy about that flight going to Narita. <laughs> so I took I took the one. It, it, it has a layover. So I just took the second part of the layover from uh, Rome Fiumicino to Narita. The happiness factor there is much lower, point. Six, still about five. There's a 777, 200, yep. So that's not a bad, but only thirty thirty inch of uh, legroom. The layout three, four, three. There's no power. There's no Wi-Fi, but there's in-flight entertainment. So I mean, it, they have the aircraft there.
2: So I don't understand why it doesn't appear on, yeah, on it's flight. it's strange. But- it's strange. I I, I think um, that that type of stuff is is fantastic, and but it comes back to an argument that we've well, not even an argument because I think we both agree on it that that we've had over and over again that type of information for actually decision making is only applicable to such a small percentage of average people buying a flight that i understand why they don't put in the model of a, a you know what type of 737 is it uh, because pe- plus plus plus, come on, even you and me. I mean, if you have a a, a, a choice
0: between a flight that is two hundred seventy to Narita and the other one is six hundred, you might still see the two, you know, the two seventy, even though you know maybe the happiness <laughs> you're factor. There, you're that? right. You're right.
2: I think that's true. <laughs> Having flown home on Air, I will uh, also. I've never done it. Well, so yeah, I, I I've flown them many times, and they're fantastic. I was very impressed. Brand new airplanes, great IFE. The business class is outstanding. So guys if you want to test rootha dot com such a can, good idea you can,
0: you can also simply or if you already booked a flight you can also need check your you put your your uh, your airline in the flight number and they will tell you what you'll have it's that's, that's pretty cool pretty well done yeah, it's pretty well done um still talking about the experience the passenger experience uh we uh, mentioned last week apple watch was our um, uh, app of the week was not an app it was a gadget of the week uh we mentioned that JetBlue was introducing uh apple pay both via your iphone and or your future apple watch i mean alex will have an apple watch for sure so <laughs> you'll be able to pay at JetBlue <laughs> stuff uh like is a glass of red wine for instance in hint, hint uh the thing i just wanted to mention quickly because i know otherwise it'll take too much time but uh, there was an article I read on our airline trends, which is a pretty cool website if you want to read about technology in the passenger experience that reminded me of my experience when I was living in, in, in Japan, that though we're very excited about the use of, of uh, you know, Apple Pay and the Apple Watch and other stuff like that, there's actually um, in many countries in, in Asia, people simply use uh, store value cards. Yes. And the sword value cards are usually the ones that you would be your oyster in London, which is your transportation card, or I mean, in, in New York, they don't have this. They don't have one actually because it's not a contactless store value. But there, there's one called a SmartLink, which is not for the subway but for the PATH system. So, and you would use a, that same, same, similar card in a plane. So you can use your Suica Pasmo, which where Suica was the card I was using when I was living in Tokyo, and I would take an ANA flight, and I'll be able to buy stuff with that same stored value in card. In wow. flight. Wow. And now I've just read that because you are going to Hong Kong, uh, and I'll probably also go with you, uh, that Hong Kong, the smart card for public transportation, Octopus, Octopus, is going to be introduced uh, to HK Express,
2: which is uh, one airline, and they will accept that form of payment for... uh, Yeah, Octopus card is, is ubiquitous in Hong Kong. You can pay for it you know you at McDonald's at 711 as well as just about every pu- form of public transport available it's it's the second biggest uh contactless smart card system after the one in south korea i be, yeah so i ab- really, i believe really, it really, and really got good. to be one of the oldest as well because when i was when i yeah, was sure. living there as a, as a teenager we had them
0: yeah, and so I just wanted to mention it because it's interesting to see how models are still very based on geography and that in Asia, uh, a lot of people use, and it's increasing. It's not something that is like a legacy. No. In Japan, more and more people are using those like dozens and dozens of smart card systems, and they're more and more being accepted it's at airports. It's interesting, is it's interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting that we, don't, we would not think about it ourselves. I would not pay with my Oyster card. No.
1: <laughs> anyway. <laughs> no.
0: Uh, still on the uh, the Apple Watch, uh, since it was our gadget of the week uh, last week. Uh, so we know that American Airlines were one of the launch partners. So they they had their app on display at the keynote that Apple made. But since then, we have others, one of which is EasyJet. EasyJet is, intru- is introducing uh, a, 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 an Apple
2: Watch app. What do you think about yeah, they, that? Yeah, They claimed that they were the first, one of the first low, first, cost. low cost, whatever that means. Uh, airline to have yeah. an Apple Watch app <laughs> and it actually it answers a question we had last week about whether or not you would be able to get your boarding pass on your watch and use that to go through because they say in this article that you will get easy access to your passbook boarding pass now that's intriguing because if it means I have it on my watch then there's value there There's there's I don't have to pull my phone out or my actual boarding pass but this is it's It's cool, and I think the 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 feedback the actual the the haptic feedback that the the watch gives you where it feels like somebody's tapping you. It does that when you approach the gate or if anything changes that you need to be aware of or anything like that, as well as the sort of you know you're delayed that that type of thing. so it's it's cool. I'm waiting for somebody to get more towards what Starwood did where you're actually opening your hotel door with your with your watch. In terms of it, would would you like to open the airplane? Apple Watch? <laughs> sure, if they let me fly it around for a while, that'd be great. With my with my Apple Watch, but it's cool, it's nice, yeah. I, and I, I fly EasyJet a lot, so I'm interested to try this out when I inevitably, as you say, get an Apple Watch. There's one thing though
0: that might uh particularly that you might find interesting. I don't know if it's a gadget or not. There's uh, in in the app there will be also the local currency exchange rate and the weather at destinations. That's it's. I know it's not. Something fantastic, would have again something like it's you know it's a nice add-on to directly know what's occurring. Yeah, it's is. great.
2: It's great that pushing that type of information to something that's at a glanceable that you can acknowledge and then dismiss is is sensible. It's a sensible use of the platform.
0: Another, another airline was introducing, uh, also probably on April 24th, which is the launch of, uh, the Apple. This is the day you're going to be able to buy it or you will be receiving if you've pre-ordered. Air New Zealand is also launching one. The reason I'm, I'm mentioning this one is because, uh, it will ping you. Uh, so basically if you're in the airport and you're late, uh, getting to your, the gate, the watch girls start actually, you know, doing that kind of feedback you just mentioned and tell you that, <laughs> hey, you must actually Tapping rush to the gate. You. How <laughs> funny! A, uh, so the you know, and the usual, the rest is usual. The flight citizen. but one other thing they do: if you have access to the lounge, you can order coffee with your app. <laughs> uh,
2: I'm, I'm, not I'm sure actually about interested that. to see what Starbucks do with the Apple Watch because. For, for for a coffee company, they're awfully innovative, and they're they were one of the pioneers of mobile retail, uh, mo- and mobile commerce. So I'm actually interested to see what they've done, or will, or will do, I suppose
0: and finally to be fair because that's the third one that was announced emirates is also launching uh it uh, will be also released on april 24 An apple watch app that's difficult to apple say watch apple watch app, app. app. That's uh same you know nothing fan- you cannot order your coffee it's a companion to the iphone app uh, so you know the more and more it's interesting this is what we said last week you said although and i know it's unfair although uh android is been with its smartwatches for around for much longer Again, the fact that Apple is pushing makes suddenly a lot of airlines in our industry here, and a lot of airlines react. And that's that's interesting tidbit. We'll see. I'm, I'm pretty sure that between now and April 24, we'll see more and more other airlines, and probably airports, uh, releasing. Yes. Uh, yeah, Watch I think apps.
2: it'll be a lot of that in-situ, real-time stuff that will prove to be so useful.
0: And it will coming back to uh again that CETA report. Remember, it said uh only 4.6 percent of passengers were using mobile check in. Maybe that actually will unlock this number a bit because that's amazing. Already, most yeah, most of the uh, most of uh, I think I think more than 1.5 billion uh boarding passes are technically available each year on uh, um, a mobile app, and nobody seems to be it's using strange, them. So, it. So it's strange, right? So I don't. You know, so maybe the fact that you can have that on your wrist will probably maybe unlock this. We don't know. We'll mm. see. It's uh, it's interesting, uh, but that that accounts for a lot of devices. We just mentioned the iPhone. We mentioned an Apple Watch. Uh, that same report from CTAD mentioned that ninety seven percent of the passengers now carry some sort of device, electronic yeah. device on themselves. And there was a bit of a problem with a battery. there was an
2: incident on a KLM flight two days ago. A uh, flight from Amsterdam to Bangkok where a the battery, the lithium-ion battery of a passenger's phone, thankfully, in the cabin, caught fire. And what made this all the more dramatic is it was, of course, given the age that we live in, caught on this on smartphone and posted to YouTube and went viral of fairly heavy duty amounts of smoke emanating from this yeah, it's impressive actually, this yeah. overhead bin. And to KLM's credit, the crew dealt with it decisively and swiftly, and there was no harm and the you know there was no injury or anything like that. But it does highlight a increasingly pervasive issue of lithium-ion batteries, which are a remarkable feat of engineering and power this this society in which we exist, but they occasionally catch fire, and when they're sitting on your desk or even in your pocket. It sucks but when they're in the cargo hold of an airplane it can be devastating and it actually the, it's forbidden it though, is right? forbidden to have them in the cart in the in the check luggage yeah the car it yeah, brought exactly. down yeah. in dubai a, a ups 747 lithium-ion batteries caught fire in the hold uh the pilots oh. were overcome by smoke and the plane crashed killing both pilots uh and it's weren't certain sort of weren't the early woes with the 787 lithium because ion weren't there also the yeah yeah again the, yeah. the Teslas that caught on fire lithium ion batteries sony recalled millions of uh, of lithium ion batteries cuz they kept catching on fire now we need to look at the the scale of this i mean there are yeah, of hundreds billions i'm sure of of lithium ion batteries out there and again in normal situations if something goes wrong with them if there's the um the separation between the two uh lithium ions actually erodes and they do catch fire uh in a normal circumstances it's not a big deal but on a plane when you can't get to the source of the fire because it's in the cargo hold it's really dangerous so i'm i'm interested to see if this reignites sorry <laughs> 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 right, yeah if it reignites and already kind of uh, debate is at the forefront because of the 787
0: yeah, it's uh. I mean, if you read uh, uh, when you when you submitted a piece of news, I just l- looked at uh, uh, some rules of you know the passenger rules about you could board and not in a few airlines. Obviously, I took a I took a look at KLM. So you're not supposed to put any of these batteries in uh, in cargo, so in your checked in baggage, which obviously is maybe sometimes hard for the airline to actually uh, survey. But they say something, and I want to ask you if you do it. They say. If you have a spare battery within, in in, ca- in the cabin with you, you're supposed to have it packed in the original packaging. Uh, and if you no longer have this packaging, you must cover the battery contact points with tape to insulate them and pack
2: each battery in a no, separate No, and anybody bag. who says they do do that is a liar. Is a is liar, it? exactly. That's, that's the issue. Yeah, and I think, you know, you have your phone on you, but I don't know about you, but I have one of those portable recharging batteries that you yeah, plug correct, your, your yeah. phone or your iPad into. Same thing, and those are more, even more prone to, to to issues like that. So I don't know what I the think solution Cath, is.
0: Cath Cathay uh, policy is interesting because Cathay actually does a, a tiered policy depending on the on the amount of wattage, wattage so the amount of power. The- to make it simpler, you that your battery has, so and, and they limit, but still, but no you one's know, gonna look at who
2: knows what their wattage is. I mean,
0: that, that's a thing. Nobody as security has ever asked me. I also carry one of these, actually, sometimes even two of these batteries to recharge my phone, iPad, etc. Nobody has ever asked me what those were, uh, and they never <laughs> actually even looked at the you know it, so you know. The only thing I know is that it's true that they are. Uh, I've tried sending a battery like that. It was in its original packaging. I tried sending it uh, as a gift to someone, mm. and DHL, I think it was. And I'm not f- finger pointing here. Uh, refused because it said, it, you know, the airline might just like say no because it's in the, in the cargo, and then all the, et cetera, etc. What you just it's- so I mean, we don't know. I, nobody has come up with an alternate. Uh, I mean, on a large scale, something to replace. No, no, no. Yet
2: uh it's 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 it's, well, I mean, it's alarming it'll be interesting to see you know what safety measures they put in place if they start to get more stringent about that type of thing i don't i don't know but it is it was quite alarming footage to see and thankfully everything ended safely and and, and happily
0: uh very quickly uh you saw something uh, that is pretty cool i've done it with about a speed fighter. yes submitted really to
2: easy. by our good friend greg annandale uh who is um at greg underscore a on on twitter who is a a fellow ultra traveler and a, a very talented photographer and a total aviation nut like the rest of us he sent us this link to an interactive spitfire where you have a kind of 3d cockpit that you can look all around 360 degrees and every single instrument and switch and lever and dial is annotated so you just click on it and it tells you exactly what it does and what it's supposed to do and how it works and it's just you get lost in this thing. It's so immersive. So interesting. Yeah, it's really cool. I'll put the link. It's really cool. Another visualization like this that Gen
0: Kanai from a good friend from Tokyo, works in Mozilla, gave me a few weeks ago already was there's a real-time visualization of all flights in the world. So it's not real-time in the sense that it's not actually displaying like Plane Finder and or a Flight Radar 24, where are the flights, but it displays you a 24-hour Visualization uh, of all the flights happening in the Very world. Cool. So it's a globe. It's a it's in three D. It's really a well beautiful. done. It's a it's a dis, it's a display of technology for something called WebGL. It's a three D engine, hardware accelerated, but it's really cool. So you should. And talking about plane finder <laughs> and flight
2: radar twenty four, I'll let you see that. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so there is there is a trend. I mean, it's been going on for years, but recently there's been a lot of them of pilots going up for whatever reason this one is described as an intrepid pilot and he went on a flight and sketched out a gigantic penis that covered most of florida (laughs) uh which obviously to someone looking at an airplane you're never going to see it but when you go on flight radar 24 or flight aware or somewhere like that (laughs) it's very very obvious what he's doing and uh People are being paid $100 an hour to do this, and then, you know, the images get sent around. But it's quite – I think it's – A, it's very funny, but B, it's quite a test of airmanship to be able to do that. I think they have to do quite a lot of planning. (laughs) Uh, it's co- I have
0: no words, but it's correct. <laughs> I was trying to find there, was, uh, there have been, has been any other occurrences or something like that. Something trying to draw anything in the sky, but
2: I yeah, can't well, find I remember any. The, so if new, Yes, yes, yes. There was the wonderful 787 test flight where they wrote 787. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's true. Sorry. That you're was a great right. yeah. one.
0: It reminds me of a friend of mine, it's totally unrelated, but a friend of mine in Tokyo called Joseph Tame, runs marathons and runs like very long distances. And he keeps doing this, what he calls the art of running. So he used GPS oh, coordinates. Cool. And I think it was RunKeeper. And he's done the Apple logo. He's done a Hello Kitty. I think the Hello Kitty was something like 45 kilometers around Tokyo to draw it. Uh, Apple logo was 21 or something. Anyway, it's wow. pretty... But I'm not sure that you can do that a lot in planes because there's more, way more regulations about where you, where you can actually go with your plane. But I mean, it's fun. Maybe we'll see. Maybe this this intrepid uh, will uh, create a lot of copycats and other people inspired by his, <laughs> his uh, antics. There's an alarming skin. amount of sky penises out there in, in the last <laughs> ten. Be warned. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Uh, we uh, both, Alex and I, are a bit uh, obsessed with the app of the week. We mentioned it, I think, in every single episode until then. So we just,
2: just let's let's go with it. That's ITA, Alex. The ITA Matrix. What is ITA? So ITA is a software company that is a big component of the fair booking architecture. It exists so much below the the usual products that we're exposed to, and actually. Interfaces directly with airline inventory systems to uh, allow that communication between the front-end systems and services like Kayak and Google Flight Search that we use, and the actual airlines themselves. It was built by some uh, MIT scientists. It's been around for years. It was bought, ITA as a company was bought by Google uh, about five or six years ago, and the Matrix Airfare Search has been around as a product for years. But it's one of those things. It's quite esoteric. It's quite uh, technical and and it has never really been the the passion of the consumer it's but it, the people that do use it religiously are the people that have turned the art of frequent flyer miles into a science yeah correct because it is easily the most publicly available the pu- most powerful publicly available flight to- search tool by orders of magnitude what you can do with this thing is staggering now I don't know about you, Paul, but I have really only begun to scratch the surface of what this this technology yeah, can do. Yeah, I mean, it's same here. I mean, I, we should mention, and I know you mentioned it in our early episodes,
0: you cannot book a flight. Yes, that's it. a huge You only caveat. can find the r- route, and then you still have to either go and try to replicate that on another website, airline website, or even call the airline. Because some of the routes, honestly, and that's my main issue, is that... I've played with it and like you probably haven't even started touching the surface of what I can actually do with it. But then I found these amazing routes and I cannot replicate them anywhere. And I have to try to call the airline and say, okay, can you do this and this and this? And the person on the other end is like, this guy must be nuts. Why does he want to do that? But that's the only maybe caveat, though, I would say maybe also someone like you and me were going into crazy routes that nobody does anyways. Yeah, but I'll I'll give
2: you an example of of why this is so good because – it it is very interesting, and you can find uh, you can find great fares, and it gives you a calendar of available fares. But there are quite a few, quite a few other sites to do this. But let's say you're flying from London to Hong Kong, and you put those things, and you say you can be, and you can be flexible. You say I want to leave on this date, and I'm happy to go for between three and eight nights. So you can be flexible on your search terms and it will, or very, very specific on, on where you want to go. But you can then tell it, I only want to fly this airline on this leg, or I only want to fly members of this particular airline alliance on this leg and that leg. So, of course, the mileage runners and the tier point runners who are looking for the lowest available uh, cost per frequent flyer point love this stuff because they can hone it in on this. But this is the feature that I use the most. I can say I'm search for London to Hong Kong, but also look any airport within 500 miles of London. So basically within a you know, an hour and a bit flight which you could usually get on a on a low cost carrier. Now that's where it gets interesting because all of a sudden you're moving away from the UK's air passenger duty or some weird taxes, or anything like that. And I've seen 750 pound fares drop to below 400. And all you're doing is paying for a 35 pound flight from London to Dublin or London to Amsterdam and connecting through. That's where it gets so powerful. And I think Google flights, and again, Google own ITA, are slowly adopting some of that functionality into their already very powerful and impressive google flight search but the matrix is really where it's at for finding these highly uh, crafted fares from multi-cities to you know a new, and you can even change the sales city i.e., which city is the ticket issued in which can have a huge amount of impact on the taxes that you pay and you can find some extraordinary especially as you move into business and first class the savings can be Extraordinary.
0: Yeah, it's also like a rabbit hole because you start playing with it and like five hours later you're still oh, playing yeah. with it. <laughs> we, uh, there's a I think I had mentioned in an early episode, maybe it was oh three but there's a I'll, I'll post a link with us. Somebody had done a, a cheat sheet, a sheet so you can have like the basic codes you have to play with. You can be, get started because obviously when you go to that website. It's a bit like, it looks like one of these normal, you know, route searching, flight booking websites. Uh, and you maybe not be a- aware of all the little codes you can use. So I'll post that so you can start playing with it. Um, and we mentioned a- a- as well that uh, Hipmunk can replicate parts of these. I'll re-put the link again in the show notes. It's yeah. fun.
2: Um, Google Flights is getting better at being able to replicate it. Uh, correct. I was surprised by the Expedia was able to get pretty close on fare on a, on a on a flight that I just searched for and also Kayak was getting reasonably close. So I think it's just but it's just knowing what city pairs to connect and things like that. That's what the Matrix is so good at unveiling. Those other ones I just mentioned, they won't. Yeah,
0: exactly. Anything else you wanted to mention about ITA? I mean, we could try Yeah, for no, hours. I think
2: I think play with it and and there's some great, as Paul says, there's some great how-tos and and manuals almost that you need. But it's worth playing around with. My father, who I told him about it one day, and the next day sent me this fare that I didn't think was anywhere close to being possible. Uh, it was it was very impressive. So it does get intuitive the more you play with it. The
0: the only the only thing we are not sure about is about his future. Uh, yes. So Google has uh, has seems kind of at least for the medium term seems committed because the last release. Uh, that there was a lot of bugs that they introduced uh, mistakenly uh, was done in last December. So apparently they are still committed to make it better, but it's real that their focus is Google Flights, the more consumer one. So we'll see, especially what happens after, I think it's 2016, when they basically, that's the agreement w- w- they have with the DOG, Department of Justice in the US, because when they bought ITA, a lot of people were afraid that Google yeah. was taking too much of a big share of the market. So yeah. They have uh, limitations about what they can do until 2016. So basically, that's where we'll know. I think it's October 2016. What will happen with Matrix? Will they keep it for people like us? <laughs> or will they oh, just so. get rid of it? Uh, yeah, I really hope so. Uh, I really do hope so. Uh, moving on to the topic of the week, uh, a, a brief view. Uh, so it's just if, for those who are hearing us and those simply who are um, looking at what happen, uh, happens in, in civil aviation, you've seen that this huge thing with low-cost carriers on one side and obviously the new type of carriers like the Gulf Airlines. So for once, we're not going to talk about the Gulf Airlines. We want to talk a little bit about the low-cost. And to exemplify that struggle that a lot of, of airlines, traditional airlines as we call it, have, uh, I want to take a quick look at how Lufthansa is dealing with it. It's a very good example of Lufthansa, a premium brand in Europe, premium company, very... Also very effective. Uh, it's a very well seen, and, and uh, the brand is very well respected. Management is respected, and still they have a lot of hot, of issues to try to, you know, deal with all the low costs that are hitting their yeah. market. And I, I think their story is interesting. I think mean, others are doing that. They will come to like Air France KLM, you know, with Transavia and others. I mean, they all do trying to find a way to compete with low cost, But I think Lufthansa is. Do you want to say anything, or do you want me to go a little bit to the? Yeah, story? no, go for it. I, I think this is
2: going to be really interesting.
0: Yeah, the the so the IATA just to start the IATA as uh, as forecasted, there's this, there will be growth which is pretty healthy uh, in the airline industry in Europe uh, in uh, 2015, slightly higher than the, the expected growth of GDP. So meaning that it should be okay. But and that's interesting. Most of the growth should happen uh, uh, in uh, the west, in eastern part of Europe. So it, which is a part which is a better market for low-cost yep. airlines that's where you see the struggle i mean the market is more and more appealing for low-cost structures so lufthansa uh we mentioned that earlier uh had a lot of strikes last year because they're trying to renegotiate all the deals they're with. have got one going on right now stuff. yes exactly <laughs> And the reason why is because what they decided to do in a nutshell, and I'm going to take a lot of shortcuts and cutting corners for the sake of time, they decided to say, okay, we'll stay with a premium product, Lufthansa. That will be the brand. Those flights, especially for long, uh, long haul, will fly from uh, Munich and Frankfurt. And that's about it. A little bit from Dusseldorf. Basically, these two airports will be our core product, the premium product, the, the product you've been getting to, getting to know. Then they started, and that's already uh, kind of uh, um, more than 10 years ago, they introduced a, low, a first attempt at low cost, which was called, still called German Wings. German Wings, Wings. Yeah. A German wing, so they were trying to do low cost uh, <laughs> to make it short. They, it was slightly better. They got 20% less cost than the traditional Lufthansa. This is basically what the industry agrees on. But it wasn't enough, they, and they did a second attempt, or they're currently doing a second attempt, which is called Eurowings. Uh, if you've ever flown Lufthansa, you might have seen before October 20, um, 2014 uh, an airline called Lufthansa Regional. So it was the small for the small, sh- very short haul flights from Lufthansa. This has been transformed into Eurowings, which is now a low-cost structure. And this is the brand that will take over all the rest at Lufthansa Premium, to make the difference mm. here will not cater for. And this the price structure here is 40% less than uh, Lufthansa. And obviously this is why they're trying to offload a lot, of course, of the flights, but also to hire people uh, with different pension plans, different rates of, of salaries. Uh, they were in renegotiated. So they just, just did a, re- a deal with uh, pilots at Hero Wings, I think for five years. So that side is seems to be working, although it's starting, but the side of premium is, is the reason why we still have a lot of, um, a lot of uh, the the current strikes, uh, for instance. So it's really basically what they're doing is that Lufthansa will have two systems. It's a hub and a network carrier. On one side, a high quality product, uh, and on the other side, a a very point-to-point low cost product. And this is, I think, the way that most traditional airlines are looking to do in in Europe, at least.
2: Yeah, I do. And I think it's interesting because it's a model that has been replicated with quite a lot of success Elsewhere, like you look at Cathay and Dragonair. Dragonair is, it's they're not a, a low cost, but they're a regional wholly owned subsidiary going into markets that doesn't make someone that doesn't make sense for an airline like Cathay, who have a long haul oriented fleet, a, a premium product available, and Dragonair gives them that a- access to the to the rest of their their home region, and it works fantastically well for them. I think it took them quite a while to kind of, and let, let's be clear, Dragonair started as an independent company and slowly was sort of bought in, in piecemeal until it was one hundred percent owned by Cathay by two thousand five. Um, so it, it does work, and it, and it, and it can work, but I think when you pile on all the labor issues that poor Lufthans have had to endure forever, it just yeah, you you. you- Coming back to the report we
0: mentioned to again, I don't know if it's a report, but the the the, the paper that Emirates put, yes. there there is one graphic that shows you the the labor cost that I quickly mentioned earlier, and that shows you that Lufthansa is basically one of the most expensive yeah, I, I uh, airlines it. in terms of costs, and that they have no, I mean, and this is where the reason the pilots are 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 I think it's the pilots currently it's are pilot, striking yes. is because is uh, they have you know Germany is known like Switzerland and a few others, to have a very uh, a lot of emphasis on collective agreements. Mm. So uh you know Very you two American. sides, the unions and one. Yeah. And they this is what they've done. They said they they signed a, a deal with between the unions and the and the company for 10 years. And obviously now the company is basically because they don't have 10 years to wait, although it's already some years have passed, but they they want to renegotiate before term. And of course at the same time they're hiring these pilots on a, with a different structure which is eurowings right. so that makes that makes them very hitchy about their future and etc and which i understand honestly i mean it's uh this is where the, this is the crux of the matter how do you you know it's easier for easier it's, it's maybe not the right word but for a companies like for startup companies or even for companies like Ryanair or easyjets which we always mention in europe because if they have started with a different labor and cost yes. structure from the beginning they don't have to deal with a legacy uh, so it's 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 a tough one. I, I hope. I mean, for for Lufthansa, I hope they succeed because I think Lufthansa is one of these brands that is one of the most
2: respected yes, in the absolutely. industry. Absolutely, and German Wings is great too. I've I've flown them many times and was I was really impressed with them. They will they will actually merge by the end of this year the two brands.
0: So German Wings will disappear. and Will be basically one will call Euro Wings. That will be the brand, but. And that's interesting because you were telling me uh, about Ryanair going in uh, long haul. Uh, they want to go long haul, well as well with their LCC. I mentioned last week that they will start doing a flight for to Dubai. For uh, so they will not. By the way, they will not fly a, a Dubai, a Dubai uh, airport. They will fly Al Maktoum, which is the other airport, which maybe one day will be the one of the biggest in the world, but not right. today. So they are doing, uh, they are attempting to do also a, a long, a long haul, a low cost structure. Uh, they are planning uh, Bangkok, Phuket, uh, Punta Cana. So you see more like holiday destinations. But they're just starting. So that will be interesting to see yeah. if they succeed I here wonder, as
2: well. I mean, I'm sure that they know what they're doing, but I always wonder when you start to cannibalize your own routes. You know, when you're competing yeah. directly with your own carrier. I guess you're trying to go for every single end of the market, but. Uh, Gosh, it's I I don't know. It's an interesting it's an interesting one.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, there are also there are other brands in, in in Germany, like all the other markets have. There's not only EasyJet and 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 Ryanair, which is the one that we keep mentioning because it's probably the biggest one. But if you take Air Berlin, mm-hmm. for instance. Uh, Air Berlin is Air Berlin is for instance as I think it is a very successful route between I think it's I don't remember now the city, but it goes to Abu Dhabi and that only reason made that your wings decided not to do it because they don't want to compete there So they are there is clearly competition from all the others that we you might not have heard of if you've never traveled to to, yes. to germany but there there's a heavy heavy competition it's not easy no. at all and i think the entire industry is trying to figure out how they will be able and and this is probably the I'm not calling it a model, but it's the example of, I think most of, at least in Europe, the airlines are trying to say to kind of offload part of the network. Maybe for cannibalization, I don't know how it will mm. end up. But I remember having a discussion in a flight with a flight attendant for Air France. I was flying back, I think it was from um, Buenos Aires. And the guy was telling me the same, was telling me the rumor is that in Air France, they want to keep the premium product for the long haul flights and they want to offload everything else to um uh, uh low cost uh, interesting so as uh, i know it's not i'm not saying i'm happy about it i'm saying that a lot actually a lot of premium passengers have complained that they cannot fly lufthansa from anywhere else but frankfurt and yeah which again is um, like
2: you you just another introduced another issues yeah exactly so anyway
0: this is a topic we'll still be following uh one quick question of the week. I invented it because it was fun. Uh, I don't know. You just mentioned ita metrics as the app of the week, finding these amazing fares you can find, and there were there are a lot of times where you can find what's it's called mistake fares. Yeah. So basically, with either there was a computing error or maybe a yeah. human error that creates fat a fat There's some st- fat finger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So for instance, in uh, a few examples, 2013, there was a uh, Delta uh, did a uh, JFK LAX for 45, $47 return. They honored it. Uh, ATHUD uh, were selling a JFK Abu Dhabi for $180. I don't remember the exact price. They honored it in return. Wow. <laughs> they actually honored it. More, than, more Recently, uh, South African Airways sold a round-trip business class ticket from Johannesburg to Abu Dhabi for $72. <laughs> they didn't honor it. Uh, and United for that was an example for 2012 did uh, New York to Hong Kong in first class, which price is usually eleven thousand dollars. Is they were sending it for forty three dollars. Forty three dollars. <laughs> yeah, they didn't honor it either. So that's that was a question. Is there should airlines honor is there anything that you can do if you find one of the mystic flight
2: do you think they will be honored what is your do you have any yeah, take we, on this, uh, Alex? We, because of the way reservation systems used to be built once you put a fare out there you had up to six hours before you could change it and of course this was legacy architecture but in the time of the internet so six hours is basically 45 days on the internet and so people jumped all over them <laughs> when i was back in my in my airline days we find like Business class to Sydney round trip from from San Francisco for like two hundred bucks, and you know we'd we'd book wow. them, we'd just book them, and then figure out out if we were going to take them because we wanted to just jump on it. But morally, I think yes, of course they should they should honor them. I mean, if you've gone through and you've given them the money and you've completed the transaction and they've given you the confirmation code, for them to go around and go oh yeah we we made a mistake, uh, it's different than taking up something that's been mispriced at a supermarket, that and then they scan it and go, oh, wait, this TV is obviously not 35 bucks. Something's wrong. Let me go check. <laughs> you've paid the money. You've walked out of the store with the TV. It's like them knocking on your door saying, we need that TV back, or you need to give us an, a, another $500.
0: Actually, so in the case of the, the example of South African, South African decided not to honor the tickets that uh, $72 round-trip business class, but they they refunded. There were more than 600 people who actually had bought that flight. And they said they were not obligated to provide services for compensation that is erroneously published uh, and commercially unfeasible.
1: Uh, I mean,
0: I, then again, I understand that. I was, there are some stuff, uh, I mean, some, like I said earlier, some airlines do, because they're gracefully understand that they do it. But it's true that the the, the, the era, they're like a whole industry. They're, you can find, of course, there's Flyer Talk, which is a very famous yeah. forum. But then you have all the all these deals websites when you, the people
2: seem to be just looking yeah, for that. they look for an always the with- right
0: software to look for... You know greater than but the thing is approach. nowadays with, with with social media it means that something that you maybe you Alex might have found back 10 years ago and you have told a few friends now goes like viral in like in the next five minutes like half of the planet wants to buy that so that was the, the example that made me think about it was United sold uh, mistakenly sold a, a first class fare uh, very cheaply they were it was a first class transatlantic ticket for $51. That was in February, so very early. And they ended up not honoring. And the, what, it, what it surfaced is that the Department of Transportation, DOT in the US, is actually very stringent. It says, he's actually agreeing with you, Alex. He said, okay, if you sell something, you cannot just not renege and say, oh, oh by the way, now it's more expensive. Yeah. So they say, yeah, they, are, they have this sense. But in that case, they didn't side with the airline because... That's interesting because in order to find that fare, you had to go to and that's the ITA metric story, you had to go to, I think it was a Danish website of United, book from there, do a translation. So the DOT said, okay, this was a fare that was not publicized uh, for American customers, thus were not defending American customers. So that would seemingly seem that if the mistake had been done within US markets, then they would have to honor it. But and that's the last bit of the story the, the same department is now thinking about this new era of social media and this access and they basically said to put it simply they don't want to protect the gamers their role is to protect the consumer but not the gamers and i think when they say that is clearly basically people that just look for <laughs> cheap fares yeah. all the time and they are actually looking into changing the regulation in order to still protect consumers individuals but understanding that the nature of the market has changed because of social media and they are looking into ways of allowing airlines not to honor this type of 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 um of tickets. It's interesting because I've looked around and basically the US was one of the only markets where they have such a strong regulation written in law, which is why when you had some mistake fares and an airline didn't want to honor it, there were settlements, backdoor settlements with 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 um with consumers and or even uh lawsuits that were settled uh, aside so uh, whereas they seem to be a little bit like uh willing to change
2: the stance we'll see yeah interesting it is so
0: guys if you want to find one you buy it first very
2: quickly but yeah be aware it quickly. that it
0: might be not honored
2: yeah. yeah don't don't plan your whole family vacation on it <laughs> <laughs> exactly Final part of the
0: show, Singapore. Uh, so actually, Alex and I, we were just discussing this before recording the show. We met each Singapore. Yeah, first time.
2: And uh, I, I'm still figure, trying to figure it out if it's 2009 or 2010. But yeah, Paul and I first met in Singapore. Yeah, at a conference through a common friend, Dave McClure, that
0: introduced us. He was not there, but he introduced us. I think it was on Twitter, yeah. actually. No, you're so, right. Oh, you should meet that guy. <laughs> you were talking at a conference that was just attending back then. So Singapore Airport. It's it's, it's a fantastic airport. Let's just put that out there first. Uh, It has just been uh, named again by Skytrax uh, as the best airport in 2015. It was already named in 2014 and in 2013. Business Traveler magazine has named it the best airport for 26 consecutive years. You know, I believe it. (laughs) So... Do you like that well, airport? Oh I'm yeah. sure.
2: It's the yeah. most extraordinary airport in the world. Not only does it work brilliantly, is it intelligently laid out and got all the great amenities, it has three movie theaters, a swimming one of which yeah. is free, uh, and the other yeah. is, plays brand new movies at like, you know, I think two bucks a shot a pop. Um it has A swimming a, pool. A swimming pool. Say, yes. It has an amazing transit hotel. Like it is a hotel built for layovers, not for our podcast. Yes but uh, for sadly <laughs> uh and it's it's for people that are are you know got 6 or 7 hours it is 11 US dollars and you get access to the pool jacuzzi shower towel a drink and i should i
0: should mention that the swimming pool is indeed in that hotel the ambassador transit hotel but even if you're not staying at a hotel, you can pay a small price and actually have access to it. You'll have uh, access to the jacuzzi, the swimming pool. You'll have a towel. You have access to showers, obviously. And they
2: also it also give you a drink, non alcoholic. Yeah, that's that's so, eleven bucks, eleven dollars. That's that's pretty it is amazing. it is, and there's there's a there's a nail and hair salon. There's a nature trail. There's fitness. Yeah, centers. so these things. So on top on top of T1, so
0: there's uh, currently there. are – three terminals the fourth one is being remodeled it was a budget one It's going to be a t4 but on top of t1 there's a cactus it's a it's a rooftop you can you walk if there's like a really uh, dozens and dozens of cactuses and you can walk around it's really magnificent similar experience on, on rooftop of terminal two you have sunflowers again you're outside it's and you so have nice a huge garden. And then if you have kids, for instance, in T3, which is the newest one, it was built in 2008, you have a butterfly uh, garden. You can go in and you see butterflies all around. There's a lot of interactive displays. It's a great thing to do when you have a layover or if you're early to the airport. It's actually, you know what, for Singaporeans, it it is sometimes a destination in itself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, And you have an orchid garden in uh, T2 as well. And... There's, if you like a little bit more techie stuff, there's an enchanted garden at, at T2, which uh, is also like these big kind of flowers, but they're all made by with LEDs and technology. It's, re- I mean, this is an airport you can spend oh, hours literally. in and never get tired and, 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 of.
2: And it's also a very very good airport.
0: <laughs> it is, yes. Actually, what I always found a bit bizarre it's that between the, you can walk between the three terminals since they open the links to each other. So sometimes you don't even realize moved, that you yeah. move from one terminal to another. You're like, oh, I'm not a t T3 anymore. I'm T1 because T1 is in the middle of the two others. And uh, so it makes it for a pretty cool experience. The t- terminal three is probably the most breathtaking because there's this green wall. and if you've yeah. seen it. I don't know if you've been to, which is this 10,000 plants on a big wall, which is I think 300 meters long and 14 meters high which is really magnificent. Yeah. It looks like it's really breathtaking to see. It, uh, the, and there's a huge amount of daylight, which, let's be honest, T1 doesn't have. because T1 is the oldest one. It's not really that amazing. But uh, another thing I wanted to mention is that there is a T3 they've done, and I don't know if you tried it, the slide. The four, yeah, have the
2: four-story-tall slide. Are you kidding?
0: <laughs> so if, if you buy for, I mean, you can... Simply go there and buy a ride. But if you buy for ten Singaporean dollars worth of merchandise and a single ticket uh, in the duty-free shops, you can have you can redeem uh, a ride at that. Which uh, is totally worth it. (laughs) Yes, you can. You know what? I thought about you when I read that. I think you cannot do more than ten rides uh, per day because otherwise, some people are getting addicted to it.
2: (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah, I love that airport
0: uh one and if really you don't like any of this stuff uh and i've done it once uh i was on the layovers for a few hours i didn't want to sleep but you know i've I done all this stuff i mean I, you know some people call me blasé but they, you can have free city tours. yeah if you're there
2: for more than so, four hours
0: yeah you can just go to a booth and you can they take you in a bus and you go and you do a little tour of singapore because the airport is not very far from the city so uh it's yeah. pretty cool i mean it's really and yeah. it's free it's, it's totally the free per- perfect I mean, airport which, by the way, talking about free, so Wi-Fi is free. Wi-Fi is actually free citywide yep. in Singapore. You have wireless SSG. SG. You just find that thing, and you'll you on your Wi-Fi settings, and it'll send. It will send you a, a text back, and with a code, and then you have twenty-four hour access to Amazing. free Wi-Fi. You know? I mean, it's just the city is just you know. For, for, I mean, most people who have never been there have maybe the bad image about what Singapore is. Singapore is really a very well thought-out city, and the airport represents that, uh, really. I, I, they will expand the airport, so they will – in the, if you remember, so you have, uh, Alex, you have T1, T2, T3, which makes some kind of a huge yep. shape. Right in the middle, they're building something called a jewel, which will be some kind of uh, huge shopping yeah, center. Yeah, transit link area. link everything together. It will be massive. It looks – the pictures look completely crazy. And they're building Terminal 4, and then they just released, I think it was five days ago – the final concept plans for t5 which will, will take over the airbase if you when you land at singapore you can yeah. see on the side the airbase the military airbase so it will take over the airbase there will be one more runway and a huge huge terminal which it will be the side of the car, all the current terminals uh, together Amazing, so they're really expanding expanding so when we talk about Gulf airlines having a model this is exactly the same model they really want to do that all of the people you know stop and go it's a destination airport but it's at the same time it's a transit airport it's it's yeah it's, it's
2: a wonderful airport state-of-the-art in every way well and uh, we probably will be there yeah may as well, so we'll, <laughs> we're really looking forward to that uh
0: anything else you wanted
2: to no know about i just i love it i've i it's one of the few airports in the world i look forward to going to
0: Oh yeah, clearly. <laughs> twenty six years in a row. We'll next make a twenty seventh year on that bombshell. <laughs> uh, let's see us uh, each other uh, next week. We're not exactly sure yet about which day because Alex will be traveling uh, to the US. So, uh, guys, if you listen to us, we try to make the show on usually on Mondays, sometimes on Tuesday, like today. Next we will we'll might be a little bit off depending on the travel
1: plans of Alex. Keep an eye uh, on we on, on Twitter and back.
2: Facebook, and we'll we'll keep you up to date. Exactly.
0: And on that, good bye night. Guys.
1: Bye. On behalf of Leovers and the entire crew, we'd like to thank you for joining us on this podcast, and we are looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Fly attendants, please prepare for landing.